growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. The question is, what do we do with that fear when it affects our lives in such a way, when it affects our spiritual lives, that it hinders us and that it keeps us from moving forward in this journey with Jesus? Most of us have fears of one kind or another, a fear of heights, a fear of flying, a fear of crowds. Some of them are minor, and some fears can severely affect our daily lives. But what happens when fear affects our spiritual lives? Here it is. Here's this challenge that always seems to be always before us. God's Word that tells us one thing, faith, our circumstances that tell us something else, fear. And there's always this battle, which one is going to win? Am I going to choose faith or am I going to walk in fear? I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Today, we're in the second chapter of the book of Revelation, looking at Jesus' letter to the church at Smyrna. The followers of Jesus in that city were experiencing persecution for their faith, and it was about to get worse. They were being stripped of their property. Many of them were going to be imprisoned, and some of them were going to die for their faith. Naturally, they were fearful of what was happening to them. Jesus had a word of encouragement for the church at Smyrna and for us today. What he's saying is, I have complete, absolute, intimate knowledge of exactly what you're going through in your life. Stop being afraid. Fear doesn't have to paralyze our spiritual lives. It doesn't have to cripple our walk with Jesus. And it doesn't have to keep us from being used by Him to impact our world. Thanks for joining us today as Pastor Clay shows us how to conquer our fear and live by faith. Fear is real. And to, to deny it would, it's just, it would just be foolish. The question is, what do we do with that fear when it affects our lives in such a way, when it affects our spiritual lives, that it hinders us and that it keeps us from moving forward in this this journey with Jesus? How do you deal with it? How do you you look at your circumstances that creates fear and look at, at what God has said and walk by faith? Which one wins? Revelation chapter 2 is where we are in God's Word. The text will be up on the screen, or if you brought a Bible, feel free to open Revelation chapter 2. We're in verses 8 through 11 this morning. So glad you're here. Thanks for coming out. Uh, You've honored the Lord with your presence. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, The first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, so that you will be tested, and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. This is now the second of seven letters that Jesus is writing through John. The Apostle John is penning these words and Jesus is giving him this vision. This is now the second of seven letters that Jesus writes to the seven churches in Asia Minor. 
This is to the church in Smyrna. If you were, if you were with us a couple weeks ago, you, you may remember that we established even then that there is a pattern. There's a seven, what I call a sevenfold or seven-part pattern that shows up again and again and again in these seven letters. And the pattern, at least to me, uh, includes this. Credential, commendation, concern, change, consequence, challenge, and comfort. Over and over again in these seven letters, you'll see these seven parts showing up. Sometimes the order will vary just a little bit, uh, but for the most part, these seven parts show up again and again and again, with only a couple of exceptions. And one of those exceptions is found in the letter today, the letter to the church in Smyrna. Jesus doesn't really have anything bad to say about the church in Smyrna. He doesn't really have anything to get on to them about as he does with most of the other churches. That doesn't mean, though, that he did not have a concern for the church in Smyrna. The word Smyrna means bitter. And it was an appropriate name, at least for the believers in the city of Smyrna. It was an appropriate name because their lives were about to experience a lot of bitterness. Their, their lives were about to experience a lot of pain and a lot of hurt and a lot of suffering as a result of their faith in Jesus Christ. It was going to be bitter for them. You see, Smyrna, one of the things about Smyrna that it was known for, Smyrna was really one of the headquarters, uh, one of the central areas for emperor worship. Now, if you're with us, the first week that we started the study in Revelation, you may remember when I gave you the overview of the book of Revelation, I talked about emperor worship and how that plays into what happens in the book of Revelation. Emperor worship, uh, if you remember, if you were here, uh, was simply this. The, the Romans didn't really care who or what you worship. That, that, they didn't care about that. As long as you also worshiped emperor, the emperor, whoever happened to be on the throne at that time of the kingdom of Rome, the empire of Rome. They didn't care who you worshipped. They didn't care what you worshipped. It could be nature. It could be the sun, the moon. It could be a person. It could be Jesus. They don't care as long as you also would bend your knee and acknowledge emperor Caesar was also a god. Actual, true followers of Jesus had a problem with that. They couldn't do that because of our belief that there is one God who exists and has revealed himself in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Those three separate personalities or persons make up what is referred to as the Godhead. They are co-equal. They are co-eternal. They are God. Now, please don't ask me to explain that, because I don't understand it, and neither does anybody else in this room or anybody else that's been studying it for 2,000 years. But Scripture, God's Word, teaches it, that God exists as three persons. So the believers, the followers of Jesus in Smyrna, couldn't, couldn't bow to emperor. They could acknowledge him as their ruler. They could pay taxes to him. They could obey his laws, as long as his laws did not violate God's laws. And God's law said there is one God and only one God. So they could not acknowledge emperor as God. They had already been experiencing some suffering, some persecution. It was about to get worse. It was about to get a lot worse. And so Jesus opens with this commendation. 
this, this uh, I described it a couple weeks ago as sort of the, his identification or his calling card. Jesus says that he is the first and the last who was dead and who has come to life says this. Let me ask you a question. Do you think the people in Smyrna who already were suffering but were about to go through severe persecution, quite honestly, some of them were going to die for their faith in Jesus Christ. Do you think they needed to hear the first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this? You better believe they needed to hear that. They needed to hear a word from him. And Jesus is, is writing to the church in Smyrna and he's writing to all of those everywhere who might have to suffer and particularly suffer for their faith in Jesus Christ. He's reminding them that he's the first and the last, that he has power over death. See, one of the the problems for us in the church here in America is we are so sheltered. We forget, we forget that there are still people suffering today for their faith in Jesus Christ. nobody, Nobody blocked you from coming in here this morning. You didn't have to hide your Bible in your house under a, under a loose board in the floor or something like that. We forget. Just this week, I was on the website for Voice of the Martyrs. And on their website, I was reading this story about a, a young mother named Asia Bibi who was beaten and thrown into jail in, in her town in Pakistan for daring to declare that Jesus Christ truly was the Son of God and Muhammad was a false prophet. She's in prison right now. She's in jail right now. I read about a man in China who's in prison for printing and distributing Bibles. I read about a man in North Korea who is, a, is a, in jail awaiting public execution for trying to lead other people into a relationship with Jesus right now. I, met, I read about a, a pastor, Dmitry Sheshnikov, who's in a labor camp in Uzbekistan because he dared to, to tell others that God loved them and had a plan for their life right now. This moment, we forget that stuff. Do you think those people, do you think that young lady in that jail in Pakistan, do you think that man in China, do you think that man in North Korea, do you think that, that, that man in Uzbekistan, do you think that they need to hear the first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this? You better believe they did. Oh, we, we, we just roll on past it. But Jesus says, no, listen. What, what he's saying to them, he says, listen to me. He says, he says, I'm the one that has authority. I'm the one that has the power over, over death and everything. And no matter what comes into your life, and, and suddenly here we are. Here we're coming face to face. Here it is. Here's this challenge that, that, that is always seems to be always before us. God's word that tells us one thing, faith. Our circumstances that tell us something else, fear. And there's always this battle. Which one is going to win? Am I going to choose faith? Or am I going to walk in fear? Faith versus fear. That's really the question we're left with. In verse uh, 9, he starts off here. He says, I know your tribulation, your poverty. And in, you may remember that I talked about that word know. It shows up every single time in all seven of the letters. It's a, it's a different word that he uses. It's, it's, it's not just a common word for, for some kind of knowledge. What he's saying is, I have complete, absolute, intimate knowledge of exactly what you're going through in your life. I know about your tribulation. That, that word just means your suffering and your poverty. The word in the, in the Greek, the, which is the original language that the New Testament was written in, it literally translates stop being afraid. Stop being afraid. I know of your poverty. It's, it's, sorry, I, I skipped on by that, but I meant to say that the word poverty is referring to abject poverty. They were destitute. They, they, were, they were literally out on the street. 
So part of the suffering, part of the persecution included loss of, loss of home, loss of income, loss of, 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 loss of everything. And the context tells us that it was a result of, it was because of their faith in Jesus Christ. That that's why they were suffering. And Jesus says, I know your tribulation and your poverty. And then he adds this. He says, but you're rich. Now, that may be hard for them to swallow at the moment, as it may be for us. But what Jesus is doing, what he, he's simply doing what you and I should do every moment of our lives. We should look at our circumstances, the moment that I'm in and whatever the stuff is I'm going through, we look at that moment through the perspective of eternity. That's what Jesus is doing. He says, I know about your poverty, but you're really rich. What Jesus is saying to them is, he says, I know, I know you've lost everything. I know materially, you've lost everything materially. You're wondering where your next meal maybe perhaps is coming from, but you are rich because I know of your circumstances, you're rich in, in my provision for you. You're rich in my promises for your future. I, I know about this, he says. And so, he can say, but you are rich. In verse 10, he steps into this and he says, Do not fear what you're about to suffer. As I said a moment ago, the word do not fear is literally translated. Stop being afraid. Why? Why, why can he tell them to stop being afraid? Because of what he's just said. Remember, he has the authority to say, so I'm the first and the last. I have the power over death. I know about your situation, your circumstances. So he's not just talking off the hip. He knows exactly what they're going through. And he says to them, stop being afraid. Faith versus fear. Faith versus fear. Faith versus fear. This, this daily decision that the church in Smyrna has to make and that the church at Cross Culture has to make, that you and I have to make daily in our lives. Stop being afraid. Um, I, I, I want to go back. Uh, I want to give you a quote because this idea of poverty and, and loss of material possessions, man, I know that, that hits us hard if, if that were to happen to us as a result of our faith in Jesus. I, I, I wanted to share with you a quote that, that I've, I've known for years. It's just always blessed my life from Jim Elliott, who uh, was a missionary to a wild and, and savage uh, tribe of Indians in Central America, the Alka Indians. Uh, Jim Elliott wrote in his journal uh, just a few years before he ultimately was murdered uh, by that tribe that he was trying to reach with the message of Jesus. He wrote this. I want you to hear these words. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. There's a guy that understands the difference between material wealth and spiritual wealth and where our true wealth actually lies. Because all of this stuff is passing away. And so Jesus can say, I know, I know what you're going through. I know what you're suffering. I, I, I'm conscious of it. I know it's causing pain for you. But you're richer than you realize that you are. Uh, just a couple of the thoughts here on uh, verse 10. He says, do not fear you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison. Now, in verse 9, he made reference to Satan and, and those that claimed to be Jews. They were Jews by birth, but in other words, it was religion, but they didn't have a real relationship with God. So in verse 9, he refers to Satan. In verse 10, he refers to the devil. They are obviously the same person, 
But the different names that he has tell us something about who he is and how he operates. The word Satan means adversary, and that's what he is. He is the adversary. He is your adversary. He is my adversary. He is the one who is seeking to destroy your home, destroy your marriage, destroy your, your walk with the Lord, destroy your life, destroy your happiness, your joy. Well, he is the adversary, and you and I would do well to remember that we have an adversary who is active and real and working in this world. He's the adversary. He also refers to him as the devil. Devil means accuser. It's, it's his nature. It's, it's part of who he is. He is the accuser. If you've read the account, do you remember in the book of Genesis? He accused, the devil accused God of lying to Adam and Eve. And he convinced Adam and Eve that God is just trying to put you down. He's trying to keep you from becoming like him. He accused Job of, of following and, and serving God only because God had blessed him. It's what he does. It's who he is. He's, he's the accuser. And listen to me, in your life today, he's still accusing. If you'll, if you'll think about it, he's still accusing. Oh, you, you can't do that. You're, you're not smart enough. Oh, you, you could never achieve that. You, 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 don't, you don't have the talent for that. Oh, you're not pretty enough. He'd never look at you. Oh, you couldn't go on that mission trip. You're too scared. Oh, you couldn't, you couldn't talk to your friend about, about Jesus. You, you, don't, you don't know everything. Oh, you couldn't be forgiven. You've gone too far. Oh, you couldn't forgive them. They've hurt you too deeply. You hear it? He's the accuser. He's your adversary. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested. And then here's this phrase, so that and you will have tribulation for 10 days. What's well, 10 days? Well, people have been mulling this over since the day it was written. People are trying to figure out what is, ten, what is this 10 days thing all about. I just Some people believe that the 10 days is a reference to 10 specific uh, times of tribulation that came in the first few hundred years of the church. There were 10 different uh, tribulation times, suffering and persecution. Some believe that it refers to uh, the last one of those times of persecution under the emperor Diocletian that lasted exactly 10 years. And so that's what he means when he says suffering for 10 days. The problem I have with either one of those interpretations is, at least as I understand it, part of the problem is, is that there's still suffering today. There's still suffering going on today. That, that hasn't changed. I believe, and, and I think most uh, biblical scholars would agree with this, uh, with this take, that 10 days is simply referring to a limited uh, period of time. A limited period of time. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, he says, listen to me. Listen to me, guys. I know. Man, I know what you're going through. I know what you're suffering. I know what you're experiencing. I know it's causing pain. I know it's causing hurt. I know that some of you are in prison for this. I know some of you have lost everything. I know some of you are even going to die because of your faith in Jesus. But I'm telling you, it's a limited period of time. This is not forever. This is limited. And so, what he's saying is, it's not going to last forever. I know it feels like it. I know in the moment that you're in it, it feels awful. And, and, and I know it's not anything that you want to go through. But, but don't think you're going to be in this forever. Because you're not. You'll be tested. You'll have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until death. And I will give you the crown of life. And then in verse 11, down at the end, he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Second death apparently is uh, a reference to the place where all people go 
who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. According to Scripture, there's a place where people go with that, that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the final place that everybody goes. It's, it's the second death, referred to in the Bible as the lake of fire. Uh, Revelation uh, chapter 20, I think verse 14 and 15 say this, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation chapter 21 uh, also makes reference to uh, the second death being the, this lake of fire. So here's what Jesus is saying to you. He says, listen, you don't have to fear. If, if, you're, if you're a follower, if, if, if you've given your life to me, then you don't have to fear the second death, which is eternal. Therefore, you sure don't need to fear your circumstance that you're going through now, which are temporal. If you don't have to fear the second death, if you don't have to fear what waits for, for those in eternity without a relationship with me, you sure don't need to fear what comes into your life right now. Faith versus fear. Choose. Stop being afraid, Jesus says. Which then brings us to our, our BP squared, our big picture biblical principle, which is this. Fight fear with faith, because fear is the devil's tool, but faith is the follower of Jesus' triumph. Oh, he will use fear in your life. He will convince you that you can't do this, or you can't go there, or you can't be a part of that, or, you, or you're, oh, I don't even have to say it, do I? You know what it is, to have those fears that come into your life, that hinder your work, that paralyze you for the work God has called you to do and be a part of, an active part of in your life. It's his tool, and he will use it. But faith, choosing to believe God, becomes my triumph in the midst of my fears. No, like I said, it's foolish to say we don't have them. But they don't have to paralyze me. They don't have to cripple me. They don't have to keep me from achieving what God has for me. Like I said at the beginning, all of us have fears. We all do. I choose faith. I, I choose to believe God. I know I'll have my fears. I, I know I'll have stuff that, I, that I'll have to deal with in my life. But I choose faith. I choose to say to my circumstances, my God knows of my circumstances. My God knows of what I'm going through. My God knows what I'm experiencing in my life. And he's already told me he has power over, over death. He's already told me he's the first and he's the last. He's already told me that he knows of my situation. I choose faith. I choose faith. Faith versus fear, that is the fight we face in this world as we walk through our life experiences. You and I have a choice to make. Either we believe our circumstances and we live in fear, or we believe God's promises and live by faith. For many Christians in different parts of the world, persecution is very real, and Jesus has a word of encouragement for them. But even if you aren't being persecuted for your faith, you may still have fears that hinder your walk with Jesus. We defeat our enemy, the devil, and his tool, fear, when we choose to walk by faith. Fear may always be there, but it doesn't have to defeat us. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh. But instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south by 540 exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. 
At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, joy, and hope. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.